This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless this is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 837 with Kat Velos. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 837. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. A new year is always a good time to reflect on the state of your current relationships. As I considered which past guests could bring you the most value as you kick off 2024, I immediately thought of Kat Velos, who specializes in helping people develop meaningful friendships in adulthood. Sometimes it can feel like a dirty little secret in adulthood where we think, oh gosh, I don't have very many friends. So we just keep it to ourselves because that feels really uncomfortable to say out loud. This best of conversation with Kat is an invitation to openly and proudly pursue the friendships you have long been craving in 2024. Kat Velos is a trusted expert on the power of cultivating healthy teams and meaningful relationships in adulthood. Formerly a UX designer at Slack, Pandora, and multiple startups, her work today focuses on helping people design belonging into their lives and workplaces. She is the author of We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, TED Talks, Forbes, Real Simple, Communication Arts, San Francisco, Design Week, Lesbians Who Tech, and many more. So the hard truth is that it is hard 
to make new friends as an adult. I've had this conversation with so many people and we've talked about it a bit on the show. But when I stumbled across Kat's work, I think via like a meme on Instagram, I immediately was like, oh, please come on the show. We need you. (laughs) We need you. So it's hard to make new friends as an adult. And it's also hard to keep the friends that we have because life is just busy and chaotic and hectic. And friendship just is not something that you can take for granted. And it doesn't just happen on its own. It's not as easy as it was when we had time to just play with each other at recess every day, or when we lived in the dorms together or any of those kind of friendship circumstances that kept us in close connection with people where we got to be constantly either forging new relationships or cultivating existing ones way back when, whether that was on the playground or in your college dorms, or even just in young adulthood before motherhood and life got to be with a, to the point that it is today. But hope is not lost. Friendships are essential for our health and well-being. And there are some simple things that you can do to grow and establish friendships that are incredible right now. So listening to hear Kat share the difference between meeting people and actually making friends, the four reasons it gets harder to make friends as we age, you're not just imagining it, it actually does get harder. The specific challenges for moms in making new friends, how our relationships evolve for better or worse as our various identities evolve, the significance of reciprocity in healthy adult relationships and friendships, the important role of curiosity in friendship, how to maintain strong friendships even when you're on separate life paths. So for those of you who are like maintaining friends with people who don't have kids or people who have totally different career paths, there's hope, there's hope. Kat also talks about steps to take to invest in new friendships, as well as steps that we can take to invest in the relationships we already have that we want to grow and preserve. So there is so much in here. Oh my goodness, get ready to take some notes and get ready to really have a better understanding and a lot more hope around how to build friendships in simple ways that don't have to be really, really time consuming, but that can really count in terms of really investing in the relationships that you want to bring into your life and also the ones that you have that you want to keep and cultivate. So with all that, please join me in welcoming Kat Velos to the Shameless Mom Academy. Kat, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm going to thank you again publicly for answering my Instagram DM when I was like, oh my gosh, I love you, the work that you're doing. And would you come on my podcast and be a guest? Because women need to talk more about friendships. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Because I know this is... It's kind of a hot topic, I feel like. For women, I mean, I feel like before the pandemic, it was a hot topic or a necessary topic for women to dig into. But post-pandemic, it's gotten to be even more critical and crucial for us. Yeah, it's been something that's been important and a concern before pandemic and definitely mm-hmm. with the amount of time that we've spent in you know, distancing and not being able to see each other. Uh, it's very, very relevant and timely now, too. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. So I want you to tell us a little bit about the dynamics beyond your bio around your personal professional life and what you're most excited about right now. Well, that's kind of a big question. Like as far as like whole personal, whole professional. It's a really big question to start us off. (laughs) The funny thing when I saw, you know, when I hear the second half of that question, which is like, what is the thing I'm most excited about right now? I feel kind of silly because my answer isn't like, something big and splashy. Cause like we're in pandemic. I'm not going to Bali. I don't have like a new book coming out right now. And the truth, like the thing I'm really the most excited about, and I'll set some context for this. I love to read. And obviously I wrote a book and usually I read nonfiction, things like behavior and psychology and, and human relations and things like that. Um, but sometimes I feel like I'm working all the time when I read that. And so mm. a whole new world has actually opened up for me recently. And I've just, des- I decided to get into fiction 
And I have discovered that I am absolutely head over heels in love with heist stories and not murders because I'm like too highly sensitive for that. But like whodunits or any kind of brainy heist, I'm I'm actually like so intrigued and so immersed in story lately. And it's just been really, really joyful. So if you need a good recommendation, I've got a couple. (laughs) But that's, oh my gosh, like really excited about I love when we find things like that, that interest us that we didn't see coming. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's really important. Like a good high story is a great escape. Who knew? (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it's such a imaginary, like world to escape in. And it's like, definitely not going to be confused with like working. Like it's such, Mm -hmm. it feels like a little vacation, honestly, when I just fall into some book that's like a page turner and it's addicted to the story. And I just, yeah. to get back to it again. Yeah. That's how I am with Real Housewives, which I feel like is not as cool of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> but that place where you can escape and you're like, it doesn't resemble any part of my life. It doesn't overlap with my work. And I can just like stare at it. And when I turn it off or like, you know, step away from it, it's my mind has been able to escape from my own reality enough that I feel like I've gotten a bit of a mental break. <laughs> That's how I felt when I got into Bridgerton. It was the same way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This, mm -hmm, I want this. (laughs) But the thing about that is that's so limited. Like if housewives or high stories, I would imagine there's so many of them. Like there's always more in the queue. Yes, exactly. Yeah, my I love it. It's quite long and I'm happy about that. (laughs) So good. So I want you to tell us a bit about your work and your book and what has inspired your all your work around friendship. I think this is such an important topic. And I think we don't talk about it enough. And I think that it when we don't talk about women in friendships, especially in adulthood, it's so easy for us to all feel like we're inadequate or doing something wrong, or it's easy for everyone else. So I'm really, really curious how you got into this work, what inspired the book. And then if you want to share a little bit about your own experience around friendship and adulthood, that would be awesome too. Yeah. So my I've always really valued friendships. And in many cases, my friendships have become like chosen family for me. And at the time when I started digging into the topic and theme of friendship, it was purely from a place of personal curiosity and interest. So I was, I had moved to the Bay Area recently at that time, and I was meeting lots of people and going to lots of dinner parties and events and meetups and things like that. And it was very exciting. It's exciting to meet new people. It's exciting to be new in town, but there's a difference between meeting people and actually having regular friends. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, okay, like... How do I like keep some of these shows? And I often found it was kind of challenging because people were like really busy and booked out four to six weeks to get on their calendar and like not in town and traveling a lot. And so it was like a little bit challenging to establish ongoing friendships with some folks here in town. You know, some of them were working out fine, but some of them were, were really hard. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what it's like for other people. And I should also supplement this by saying that in my day-to-day work, as at that time, a user experience researcher and user experience designer, my literal job was to help figure out how to make things easier for people, like to make a task Mm -hmm. easier, to understand what's getting in the way of of that task, like what's the problem that makes that difficult? And then how can we design a better solution to make it easy? I was doing this for apps and websites and things like Slack and Pandora and other startups and whatnot. And so when I was looking at the question of friendship, it was a very natural fit for what my brain was doing 40, 50 hours a week, which is mm-hmm. how do we solve this problem? And so yeah. I just treated it like any other project I was working on where I did research to understand like 
how is this problem manifesting in people's lives? I did hours and hours and hours of interviews. I did a lot of facilitated events to get people together around the question of connection and friendship. And I just started writing. I've always been a writer. And I started writing and writing and writing. And eventually I had so much writing, but I was like, what am I doing with this? And my friend was like, it sounds like you're writing a book. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so then I accidentally wrote a book. And it's really <laughs> easy to write a book when you don't realize you're writing a book because you never get freaked out by how big the goal is. You're just like, I oh, was just going to say, yeah, it's much less daunting than opening in a blank document and being like, hmm, chapter one. How do I start? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so that's in a nutshell how it turned out. And and to answer your second question of what my experience of friendship has been like in adulthood, you know, it's really varied. I noticed it was different in my 20s. It was different in my 30s. I'm in my early 40s now. It's different. And the phases and stages of life, you know, it's probably so relatable for so many people. Like I went through the phase of like post-college and suddenly all my friends were like getting married. It was like wedding season, like all the time. Mm hmm. Several years later, everybody was having a baby. And I was like, wow, okay, now we're in the baby stage. Everybody's having babies. Then later there was like, I have a drawing in my book called The Adult Friendship Desert, The Adult 30-something Friendship Desert, where it's like, here's all the things you're like wandering through the desert of friendship. And here's all the things you find along the way. And I was like, what is going on with this like early 30s, mid 30s, like dip in Mm. friendship? And like, it suddenly got really hard. And I was like, why? And I wasn't willing to just accept that it was difficult and not investigate like why, like how can we actually make it better? And actually like coming out of that dip probably helped by the fact that I write a book about, like wrote a book about friendship and focus on this a lot. My friendships have gotten better. And I think one of the things that helped was really investing in building closer friendships with other women who were staying here in the same region as me, the same city or area. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's very easy to maintain your friendships when they are nearby. Um, And also like really investing more intentionally with my long distance friends to say like, I don't want us to fall out of touch. I really value having you as part of my life. Like, let's do this. And so it's gotten a lot better. This is so interesting because I think that so many people listening can relate to that trajectory that you just described of... And I remember this so clearly after college, like friendships came really naturally in high school and college because you're spending all day with your peer group. And in college, especially you're living with them. So the intensity of those relationships, I just really took that for granted. My first job after college, I made friends really easily at that job because... It was a bunch of like all the young people connected easily. Also, I was working in a really, I was working in a psychiatric hospital where you quickly bonded with the people that you were working with just because you were going through so many, you you had such a weird day-to-day experience in terms of your work experience. But then after that, yes, it was like this very different trajectory by mid twenties into thirties. And then it really was like this idea that Am I supposed to just make the people who happen to be around me my friends? So if I'm in an office situation like those, that's who I'm spending the most time with. And growing up, you made friends with the people you spent the most time with. So like your natural inclination is like, I guess my coworkers should be my friends, but I don't know if I like them that much. (laughs) And if I don't like them, then where do I go? What do I do? Like, do I have to find a hobby? So there is this trajectory where it really does shift. Sometimes life circumstances, I think, can bring you close to people. So I know once we had my son and then we were like in a parenting class and I was like, oh, maybe these are the, my people. And it turned out some of them were. And so there's those commonalities, I think, that can bring you together. But if you're not keeping an eye out and for those connections and then also really intentionally investing so many opportunities for connection can really pass you by. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, I 
don't know that I have a lot of really strong connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super relatable, definitely. Especially with the comment you made around work, which is like school, you're around these people all day long. And it's, it seems like, okay, well, I guess I'll try to be friends with them. But if you don't get to choose your coworkers, you don't. <laughs> it's different right. like getting to choose your friends. And so workplace is one of the primary places people find friendships in adulthood. And I think that's great. And there's a lot of opportunity there, but sometimes it's not a fit. It's not a fit. Right. So right. there are opportunities out in the world, but it does require some level of intention and effort. Yeah. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by a podcast I wanna share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. You said something early on in one of your answers around the difference between meeting people and making friends. And there's a dynamic there that's really interesting as I've had the opportunity to meet people through podcasting and through running my own business and through doing some stuff at my son's school. And there's a lot of opportunities to meet people. And what I'm realizing is I meet a lot of people that I really adore who are awesome. And I'm like, Oh, I want to hang out with them. But unless you go through this really 
vulnerable moment or phase of like, Hey, you're cool. Do you want to hang out? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. There is a gap between meeting someone and actually having a friendship with them. And I think a lot of times we think that they're the same thing and they're not. And then we have this moment of like, I have a lot of people around me, but am I actually really connected to them? Right. Right. It's very different. And it does have our ability to invite in a closer connection or to see each other more than sporadically or more than happenstance at, you know, kid pickup day or, you know, hour or whatever it might be. And so it's, it does take a sense of purposefulness. Yeah. Why do you think it gets harder for us to make friends as we get older? You've kind of, we've, I think there's some assumptions that we can make, but is there anything you want to explicitly say on that? Yeah. And I, I describe all of these in the book as well. There were four main reasons why in my research, I found that people were having difficulty making friends, like making that transition from like, wow, these are really cool acquaintances to like, no, we're actually friends. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. awesome. One of them is the difficulty establishing intimacy, which is what we're talking about right now. How do you go from just knowing them or seeing them around to being able to call them after you've had a bad day at work or like inviting them to celebrate a really meaningful life change with you or something like that. And so that question mark for a lot of people of like, I don't know how to actually get there, like to cross the chasm. That's one of the main reasons why it's hard to make friends as we get older. Secondly, certainly this is a podcast about motherhood. And another category of why friendships sometimes fall to the wayside is that it takes a lot of time and attention to be in a, you know, serious relationship and raise children. (laughs) And the time and attention that that takes means that often there's not a whole lot left over for friends. Not because relationships and family are a bad thing, but just because like it's a lot of attention that is needed there. And so purely out of logistical reasons, sometimes friendships go to the wayside. Another reason is busyness that kind of falls in with that. But people having calendars that they feel are super busy, you know, that feeling of like, oh, yeah, I want to see you, but I won't be free until seven weeks from now (laughs) and get in the way of closeness. And then the fourth category, which I describe in the book with the term hypermobility is the speed with which people move through life, move through the world, move often through workplaces and cities and states and sometimes countries like people are constantly moving. And uh, moving is one of the reasons why people say that their friendships fade away. So those are the four main categories. And I discuss in the book, all of them. And it's not just like a downer of like, here's all the <laughs> it's for every single category. I have like a whole slate of different things you can try based on your personality and your inclination of like, here's things you can do. If this is the thing that you're struggling with, like do these things and see mm-hmm. how it gets better. It's so eye-opening to hear these things. And it really illuminates the need to be thoughtful and intentional. And we're probably all... It's funny. (laughs) As you were sharing these, I was thinking, and I'm guessing many people listening, we're all thinking of either times where we're like, oh, shoot, like I've been the person who didn't make time for someone. Or we're like being critical and being like, oh, yes, so-and-so, they are always too busy. (laughs) Or they're like always on the go. Or they're never investing in, you know, prioritizing like the intimacy of our relationship or whatever it might be. But I think this point that there has to be this intentional investment. And nobody tells you that. Yeah, (laughs) Nobody tells you like, you are very much going to have to be thoughtful about this. It's not something that you can take for granted. It is something that you're going to have to make happen. And interesting that you brought up moving a couple times now, because what I've actually seen happen in some of the parents at my son's school is that I grew up in this area. I've lived in the Seattle area my whole life, except for when I went to college. And 
So I have connections here and relationships here that I've definitely taken for granted. <laughs> like I just have deep roots here because we, Seattle is such a city with people who've moved from other parts of the country. I've been had the experience in the last few years with other mom friends who were like, Hey, I don't have mom friends here. Like we moved from another part of the country X amount of years ago and I haven't like gotten my roots. And this really vulnerable moment of like, I'm looking for mom friends. Do you want to be my mom friend? And people being really women being really explicit about that. And the fir- I remember the first time someone said that to me and I was like, I'm so impressed that she said that. Mm-hmm. And more people should be saying that more people should be really explicit around like, Hey, I'm working on making friends right now. Do you want to be my friend? Like that seems like such a weird thing to say because we don't do it, but it's also, I think maybe one of the things that's really necessary. Yeah. It's like to make an analogy, if somebody was looking to get in a serious relationship, but was unwilling to disclose that to anyone, (laughs) including people they might date. Yeah. Like, it makes no sense. Like, not a lot of success. <laughs> you got to, you got to kind of come right. about that. You got to let people know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's such an interesting, and this is why your work is so important because so few people talk about this openly. Like you can get books on dating and how to make yourself available and how, like, what are the, there's a lot of social norms around that. There's not a lot of social or cultural norms around like women and friendships and building friendships. Yeah. Very important stuff. When you researched the mom experience of adult friendships for your books, what were some of the specific challenges you heard moms saying they were dealing with? Yeah, there were quite a few. So one of them is actually the opposite of what you were just describing with this mom friend and being like, oh, yeah, like we're going to connect about being, you know, we're both moms. One woman I spoke to described how she had joined, she had recently had a baby and had joined the local like mommy club through her hospital. And she was telling me, she's like, I go to these meetings and it's useful to talk about the baby stuff, but she's like, I don't connect with any of these women. Like just mm. because we're moms doesn't mean I would have chose these women as friends. Yeah. And, but she felt compelled to like make a friendship with them because there was a lot of value and utility in talking about, you know, life with newborns of approximately equal ages. But she was like, yeah, I probably wouldn't pick these women for friends, but I think I have to be friends with them because I need mom friends. Um, right. So that was kind of difficult. Another one that I've heard a lot is a feeling of a loss of identity, you know, Mm, from maybe had been lawyers or, you know, teachers or professors or really like professionals in a way where their identity for so long was around their work or the way that they showed up in the world and and feeling like once they became moms, it was like, that's their whole identity is just being a mom. Mm -hmm. The sense of grief sometimes that everything else about them doesn't seem to matter anymore. And that being kind of disappointing. Another thing, of course, is as we touched on before, was having lack of time for friends, like wishing to connect with friends, but just feeling like it's around the clock mom, mom life and just not having mm-hmm. the energy or time for it. And then sometimes, and we can talk about this more a little bit later if you want, but sometimes what happens is once that major life transition happens, some people feel like they can't relate to friends who are child free, who also then cannot mm. relate to them. And so they're right. like, what do we do now? <laughs> that doesn't always yeah. happen, but that is a thing that can can occur as well. That can add an unusual kind of friction to relationships that otherwise never had that element before. Yeah. Yeah. That all completely makes sense. And I think all of what you said is relatable in, in various ways. I would love to talk a little bit about the identity piece because I think that one of the things that can be really helpful in those mommy groups is 
my friends all had children a little bit before me. So by the time my son was born, they had kids who were like three to five and they were like, Oh, a snuggly newborn. And I was like, no, like this is a disaster. It's not cute and snuggly. It's this thing screams all the time. And they were like, Oh, but it goes so fast. And we were just, they were amazing friends and loving and supportive, but we were just not in the same season of life. And so there was a disconnect in terms of how we saw mothering. And when I finally, a few months into my son's life, got into this newborn parent class, I was like, Oh, these are my people. Like they know what it's like right now to, they are not sleeping either. Like they're up every night and they think that nursing sucks. And they, we have this like deep connection over this really intimate moment that we're in right now. And that having that connection was really significant at, in that season. Mm-hmm. But and so, and that was a huge piece of a new part of my identity, like this evolving identity for me as a mom. But I also think in which you just brought up is that sometimes our identity in our relationships evolves in different ways where a friendship that was maybe really essential and vital and lovely and blooming five years ago for whatever reason just isn't feeling the same. But there's an assumption that like, if we've had a significant relationship with someone at some point that we should always work to maintain that, I think. And I'm actually thinking to dating right now where like, if you're dating someone and it's not working out, you just say like, it's not working out. And like, we go our separate ways. But you don't do that with friendships. I think that we oftentimes try to make things work for too long, even though maybe like we're just not connecting right now, or we are we're not super transparent around like, Hey, this isn't working or that, or I've changed, or can we continue to grow together? Like we're not having those kinds of conversations. So can you talk a little bit about how we evolve and how, as we age, how our identities evolve and then our relationships naturally evolve as a result? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're right that we don't often have the conversation about the relationship that we have in romantic relationships where you talk about the relationship, it's not as common for people to say, like, let's talk about the friendship, the thing that we create and here, hold here in the space in between us that we both kind of prop up together. And I think it's useful to do that. You know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but for highly reflective, introspective <laughs> people, they, they might really enjoy that. Yeah. And with relation to the identity piece, you know, and whether our evolving identities affect whether the relationships evolve, I think sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And I'll give some examples. So one example is if one person is evolving because she's becoming a mom, she's going to have kids, babies, and the friend and then her friend is not going to do that in a stage child free. If that mom evolves, like takes that evolving identity of becoming a mom and invites the friend in to say like, I would love for you to be an auntie to my kids. I want you to have relationships with my kids too. You're so meaningful in my life that of course I want to share you with these other little people in my life. What do you think about that? You know, and if that friend's like, yeah, I would love to be an auntie. Like, and then she comes along and makes, you know, these bonds that are really meaningful with those kids. And that's like a super special extra dimension to Mm. all of their lives and to their friendship that is in addition to what they share as two individuals relating to each other. And on the flip side, suppose that same situation, someone becoming a mom, but the friend is like, you know, I'm child-free and I don't actually enjoy spending time with kids. And that's why I'm child-free. And that's not a fit for me, you know? Right. And they may not be able to then relate around that choice. And sometimes in that case, the relationship either dissolves or takes on a a different dimension that's maybe less intense than before, less often Mm -hmm. as before, less frequent, or they find ways to stay in touch around things that don't necessarily 
are like rooted in the motherhood experience or the family experience. And it's like, what were the things that you were each passionate about before that? Maybe you were both passionate about singing. Maybe you were both passionate about the kind of work that you did. Maybe you were both passionate about gardening, like plants, like whatever the thing that you were both passionate about and you appreciated in each other is still there in some dimension. Right. So maybe there's a way to then focus on that and to have that be the thing that you continue to relate around. And it's also not the end of the world. If like some friendships fade away, (laughs) at least 50% of our friendships will fade away. And most of them do within the first three years. And this is Mm. research from Robin Dunbar. And so it's not the end of the world if your friendships evolve or dissolve. And it's useful to continue cultivating new friendships for that reason. Absolutely. I love the example that you gave around someone who has a new, who someone who's has a child and invites in a friend who doesn't have a child and says like, I would love you to be an auntie. I'd love for you to be involved in whatever ways and being really explicit about that, I think just shows so much care for the relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking that even outside of the context of kids, like in a career change where maybe I know that in the past I've had careers where I've gotten to be really good friends with coworkers. And then I've made like a super right turn to be like, I'm not doing anything related to this anymore. I'm doing this completely other thing. Mm -hmm. And our, our bond is all, was all around our work together. How do you invite someone in? And it's been interesting to see over time, the people who have wanted to be a part of my work as it's emerged and, and evolved. It's been so fun to have some people come along. And then other people are like, I don't get it. And some of them are like, I don't get it. And I don't want to have anything to do with it, which is fine. And then other people are like, I don't get it. I'll always support you. But then there are some people who are like, I don't really get it. But like, I want to like tell me, tell me all the things. And I think the more we can do that for each other... Um, where it feels right and appropriate and natural and organic, then you create space for the relationship to continue to evolve. But sometimes it is that really explicit invitation of like, I'm something's shifting here and I want to be conscientious of making sure I'm inviting you to come with me as I'm going through that shift. Yeah. And what I hear in that example too, was the varying ways that your former coworkers could have related to this new thing in your life, but also had a sense of acknowledgement. If there isn't a, a disconnect, right. there isn't a connection for them. And then you have to then acknowledge, hey, there's a disconnect around this for them. I'm not going to keep inviting them into this thing that they're like not interested in. Right. Yeah, definitely. So like one example that comes to mind from my own life recently. So one of my friends, she's got a couple kids that are really little. And uh, one of them was having a birthday party the other day. It was like a toddler birthday party. And she's a dear friend to me. I love her. I mostly went to the party to see her. I was like, of course, I love her little kid. I'm their little auntie. Right. But she was like, she knows I don't have kids. I don't hang out in mommy land. And she's like, you don't have to stay here any longer than you want to. Like I stayed for like 45 minutes. And she's like, really, if you're bored out of your mind, you can. Like, yeah, I think I'm going to go after yeah. like a while. Cause like, I just, it's not a world that I operate in. And there's only a limit that I think a lot of child-free people like me can like hang at but the mutual the mutual acknowledgement like respect and she was like yes i'm not offended please go enjoy the rest of your saturday and i was like i love you i'll see you next week and so that's it you know and i think when we can respect each other and not be like so offended that we're not clones of each other you know then we're more mm-hmm. likely to have a flexible friendship and, and more fun together <laughs> Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you give examples or have there been examples where this has gone the other direction for you? Where like you just gave this really great example of where the relationship has evolved in this really great way where you can have this open dialogue. Do you have experiences where that didn't happen? Yeah, I have an experience like that. So one, this was quite a while ago, but I had a friend who 
was she had become pregnant and was then, you know, a new mom. And from the minute she became pregnant, it was like a switch was flipped and all her curiosity about me dissolved. All her interest mm. in hearing anything about my life or anything about my thoughts or feelings evaporated. Like when we hung out, all she did was talk about her pregnancy and like all she ever wanted to talk about was stuff related to babies. And I was like, being really patient and going along with it and everything. But it started to hurt that she'd never said like, yeah. so what's new in your life? Like, what's been on your mind? Like, what's important for you? It felt like I was invisible and my life was less meaningful because I wasn't yeah. on that journey. It was really painful. And I was also doing all the work of reaching out to hang out, all the work of trying to spend time together. And so it was really imbalanced and it actually felt pretty painful. And she was never able to meet me. And that friendship faded away. And reciprocity is like a lack of reciprocity is what I was experiencing there. And it's interesting because whether you're moms or not moms, reciprocity is such an important component of healthy adult friendships. In fact, with most of the adults I work with, lack of reciprocity is one of the biggest complaints and frustrations that people deal with in adult friendships, that feeling of imbalance, that feeling of like, I care so much for this person. They don't seem to care about me at all. you know. And so if you want to keep those friendships strong, even if your lives look very, very different, please take it back to kindergarten and remember to share, like share the talk time, share curiosity in both directions. Like it is a gift to give each other time and attention. So like invite both of you to participate in that. And when you, when you talk about your different lives, also make sure to then connect around the things you still have in common, not just the things you're different about, but also like what made you want to be friends? What are the things you used to laugh about? What are the things shared memories that you have, like, what are the things that you can still connect on in this moment too? Absolutely. I was just thinking of a situation. So I totally agree on the role of reciprocity, the significance of reciprocity. And I was thinking through a friendship where similar to your situation where you have friends kind of taking two different paths, not even necessarily two different paths, but just in different places. And one person feeling kind of invisible, one person feeling like, gosh, they just talk about themselves all the time. They never ask me anything. And uh, or in a situation I'm thinking of from my own experience in the last couple of years, someone where you feel like they don't ever prioritize, like if we happen to see each other, it's fine. But like, they're not prioritizing the friendship or they're even sometimes saying things where I'm like, I feel really deprioritized by that statement. (laughs) And things like that, where there's an awareness, I think, when you feel invisible or where you feel not prioritized. And in my case, as this happened over the course of a year and a half or whatever, I was like, Oh my gosh, have I ever done that to anyone else? And like, where in my life have I just been maybe kind of in a situation or season where life has just been moving at a certain pace and I made other people feel invisible. Have I like Mm. not replied to things or not asked them questions? And so it's been interesting. It was it's been frustrating kind of working through that situation with this person. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also am like, gosh, this is kind of a valuable experience. Like I don't ever want to do that to someone else. And there's probably been times when I have. And so sometimes being on the other end of that, while it can be hard and like you said, it can be painful. It also, I think ultimately makes us better friends to others. Cause we're like, Oh, I would never want to do that to someone else. Exactly. The same. I had the same feeling, Sarah, of just like, wow, I really don't want to do this to other people. <laughs> I'm, so I'm yeah. like really conscious after that to like ask my friends, like, tell me about you. Like, <laughs> like I want to hear about what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what's happening in your life, because I don't want to be the one who's like hogging up all the air in the room and then being like, okay, bye. It's like, right. 
Right. That does not make the other person feel very good. Yeah. What are some things that we can do when we have... So we've talked about the example of like a mom and a non-mom working to maintain a friendship or keeping a friendship strong. But even if there's other variables where our lives have... So maybe it's like a shift in career paths or where we just... Our identities are shifting in different directions or different ways. What are some things that we can do to keep a friendship strong? And you've given some examples already, but are there any other things you'd want to share around what we can do even when our to maintain strong friendships and relationships, even when our lives are looking different or perhaps moving in different directions. Yeah. It's important that we respect each other's right to create unique lives, to not expect that our lives must be identical mirror images in order to remain compatible or to remain connected. If we stay curious about each other and stay supportive of each other's different journeys, that will take you so far. You know, if we, Remember that we're different people (laughs) and we were different people when we met, actually, too. It's not just the differences that have occurred since we met and we accept those and respect those. And again, continue to bond around the things that we still have in common. Then we can find that balance where like as we change and grow those new things to have like a sense of novelty, right? It keeps things from getting stale and boring and it's interesting to have those changes in life, but then also to continue to find things that you connect around, find things that you value about each other, that you appreciate that you have in common, because that will kind of serve as like a foundation, like a thing to keep coming back to. And I think that, that both of those things together, practicing those and staying open and flexible on those is how we keep those friendships strong over time. Definitely. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. 
Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Should we be okay with some friendships just running their course? Yes. <laughs> like, how, you're like, yes. <laughs> That's all there is to say about that. Yes. Do you think, especially for, I'm thinking really specifically for all my people pleasers out there, like, I think sometimes we maybe try to hold on to things, maybe like when they're past their prime and like they've run, it's run its course, but like nobody wants to hurt anyone else's feelings. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll keep trying to make it work. Or, and it's, should we just be okay with relationships evolving and dissolving, as you said earlier? Yes, this is just a natural part of life. There's a really problematic assumption in our society that something is only successful if it never ends. Mm. We do this with friendships. We do this with relationships, but there are ways to successfully end a relationship. There are ways to successfully end a friendship, just like there's ways to successfully end a job. If you're like, hey, I'm not going to work at this company anymore. Great. Like, let's say goodbye in a nice way. It is not necessary for something to last forever for it to have been positive in your life and been valuable in your life. Most of the time, and we know this from research, friendships end in one of two ways. They either fade out or they go up in flames. But most of the Mm. time, they just fizzle out and fade away. And 50% of those that fade away often happen within the first three years of of knowing somebody. And research from Robin Dunbar, who is where this comes from, and also he's like one of the world's like preeminent scholars around human connection. He also has found that we lose approximately one to two friendships per year. And so, and again, most of those fizzle out. Sometimes there's a more fiery, but most of the time they just fade away. And so for the people pleasers out there, please do not beat yourself up over this. Please do not feel like, oh, I should have just tried harder to keep that friend and that friend and that friend and that friend. And like, we could have kept all of them forever. And no, you can't. Like, it is not logistically possible to maintain that level of intensity and closeness, like best friend level with every single friend that you make. It's just not doable. And so accept that sometimes things are going to drift apart. And that doesn't mean that there's animosity between you. You can certainly have a happy reunion one day if you see each other. It's just a natural part of life. And so that's, again, why it's important to continue grooming new friendships and planting new seeds, because just like a garden, it doesn't just bloom once and that's it for the next 75 years. <laughs> like right. every season, things die and they fade away and you need to prune things out that don't fit right. That's life. That's the garden in the plant world. And that's the garden of friendship. Right, right. So I want to take like, look at the flip side of that and ask what are steps we can take instead of letting a relationship dissolve or go up in flames? What are steps that we can take if we wanted to, first of all, like start a friendship? And then secondly, if what are specific steps we can take to grow and preserve? Sure, sure. So if you're wanting to invest in a new friendship, like let's say it's a little baby seed of a friendship, it's just started, but it's got that good energy and it feels like there's some mutual interest there, mutual chemistry and and potentially mutual commitment. Do what you can to invest in time together very early on in the friendship. And this is also proven out by research that it takes to go from zero, like total stranger to a best friend 
takes approximately 90 to 200 hours of time together. And when we were in college, that's very easy because you live together, you eat your meals. Oh my gosh, that's like a couple of weeks. Yeah, it takes you a couple of weeks, right? And you've spent 90 hours together. That's easy. But in grown-up adult life, especially busy, I'm sure, parent life, that's going to be tougher. And so do what you can to invest in that time because the research also shows that that 90 to 200 hours, it can't be dragged out over the course of your whole life for the next 20 years. It needs to happen in a compressed state early mm-hmm. on that really solidifies the friendship and the foundation of trust and vulnerability and understanding and inside jokes and like all the things that happen that give you a common language and a real trust and, and mutuality it needs to happen kind of soon. And so see, do what you can to get that within the first couple months of knowing each other, let's say like four to eight weeks, really, really invest in that. So like find the time <laughs> and then yeah, when yeah. you spend that time together, Please do not only skate on the surface of like talking about the weather or talking about politics or talking about like, I don't know, just chit chat, like small talk. There's some amount of that that's necessary to warm up to a conversation. But then beyond that, show the other person who you really are, like be vulnerable with each other, ask for their advice, like share something meaningful that's happening for you. And don't feel like you have to only project a perfect image because when we're vulnerable with each other and show our flaws and show our weaknesses and say like, what do you think about this? I'm, I'm struggling with this decision. What would you do? You know, it shows that you respect the other person's mind and their point of view. And it also allows us to help and support each other. And we feel valued and we feel needed and meaningful when we feel like we're helping another person and for help too, because then they get to feel that way when they help us. And these are the types of things that tend to knit people together more deeply than just, you know, oh, we had a brunch margarita, like, in February and now it's September and like, I still don't know anything about this person, you know? Right. That makes so much sense. And I think it also helps to have awareness around the fact that like, okay, I'm going to really be intentional in investment early on and be vulnerable, build trust, have the, I mean, I love that you brought up like common language and inside jokes, because I think that those are some of the things that really root a relationship. Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. So what about... There's nothing, in, nothing I want to add to that, Sarah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit open about your intentions too. So earlier you talked about, you know, saying, you know, meeting this friend and meeting this woman and being like, I really want her to be my friend. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, Sarah, I've had such a good time hanging out with you. I would love to see you again. I love your point of view and, and you're so funny and so smart. I'm trying to be more intentional with cultivating friendships this year. Would it be okay if I reached out to you to hang out again sometime in the next few weeks? You know, if what I'm doing there is asking for your consent and I'm telling you where I'm coming from. Right. And if you say, you know, I'm really busy, but thank you so much. That's really kind of you to say. You're letting me know, hey, you're not available. Cool. That's very kind of you. The other thing it does too, is it takes away the guesswork of knowing like, ooh, can I reach out to her? Is she going to think that's weird? Am I going to be bothering her? You walk away from that conversation knowing I am open (laughs) to seeing you. I am open open to being contacted. So those little worries that come up of like, I don't want to bother her. Is this awkward? Maybe, maybe this will be, you know, strange. You know. I'm open. So you don't have to have those worries. Right. So once we have the relationship, what are some steps to growing and preserving? Mm -hmm. So as we talked about, you know, having time to share vulnerably (laughs) about your lives with each other, having the support for each other. And there's also research that shows that creating shared memories is one of the best things that you can do to cement a friendship early on. One of the women I interviewed for the book described how as soon as she realizes she has a new friend she really wants to keep. She'll invite them to do like a weekend getaway with her 
where they like share an Airbnb and like cook their meals together. And like, maybe they bring their other friends or partners. Like she tries to create a very clear and fun memory together. And this is is a beautiful thing to do because it gives you not only that sense of like, Hey, we did this thing together. Remember like when we went to the lake and like whatever it is, but it also research proves that novelty actually bonds people together more quickly than doing run of the mill things. So you can go get a coffee four times, or you can actually do one weekend immersion together. And the novelty and unusualness of doing something unusual together actually is much more likely to bond you quickly. So that's something else you can do if you want to grow your friendships is like add novelty in every so often. Don't fall into a rut with that relationship, just like you don't like your other relationships to fall into a rut either. Right. Oh, that makes so much sense. I feel like I'm personally like taking notes here, like, oh, invite this person to do that. And so I know, I know our listeners are doing the same. So good. All right. So we've covered so much. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap? Because I know there's, I know we're missing some things and I know the book is a, such a huge wealth of information on building friendships. So anything specific you want to add, or do you want to just point people right to the book and tell them to get started there? You know, there was a point I wanted to make around supporting each other in friendship. I have a whole section in the book where I talk about this and the importance of the flexibility and the willingness to be there for each other is really significant because a lot of people, when I've interviewed them about friendship, they say like, yeah, I I know a lot of people or I'm friendly with a lot of people, but in a time of need, they don't really know who to call on. And I think that this applies to this conversation around, you know, I'm sure in motherhood, there's been perhaps many times where you like could use the support of a friend. Um, Oh, yeah. And similarly, like as someone who hasn't had a baby, but has say like had a surgery (laughs) where you need to recuperate in bed and you can't do all the things you could. Yeah. Like high need. (laughs) You have a need. When friends show up for you in that same way with like meal trains and offering to help out with like chores or whatever it is, like those things go so far when we show up and simply say like, I'm here to help. And it can be like a small thing, like running an errand for somebody or giving them a ride somewhere um, or offering to go with them to an an appointment that's really uh, serious or something like that. Like these small gestures, even if it's like a minor inconvenience to make it happen in the meantime, it does so, so much to foster closeness and real sense of trust and caring in the relationship. So I just want to put a pin on that and say, that's like, do a little like self-reflection around like, who would you call in that time of need? And if you, if the list is pretty short, ask yourself, like, who do you wish you could call in that time of need? Like who's a friend you have who like has the potential to be that person for you and invite them to have that conversation with them and say like, I'm, I've been thinking about this. It's really important to me. I want you to know like, I would be there for you if you needed me. I was just going to say like starting with that. Yeah. Like if someone was like, I really want you to know that I could be there for you. Most people are going to reciprocate that. And yeah. so like, I just can imagine that that's an, a pretty quick and easy segue for someone to be like, Oh my gosh, I would absolutely be that person for you, which feels different than being like going in with the ask of like, can you be my person? Right. <laughs> like lead with all the, your person. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I love that. Oh my goodness, Kat. Okay. Tell us something you're shameless about. (laughs) Something I am shameless about is the fact that I am an introvert and I need introvert time. 
Love it. The only way that I'm going to have energy and focus for other people is if I've had some time for myself to be still, to be grounded, to be free of other people's thoughts and opinions, like to actually just listen to my heart. And mm-hmm. I make space for that. And I'm pretty shameless about it. And my close friends know like that's a part of who I am. They honor it. They support it. And they never take it personally. And that's something that I'm shameless about. I love it. Okay. So tell people where they can find you, where they can get the book. The book is We Should Get Together. I don't know if we've said the title yet. So We Should Get Together, The Secret <laughs> to Cultivating Better Friendships. Where can people get the book and connect with you and get all your goodies? Yeah. So you can get the book any place you buy books. You can certainly order it online. It's at Amazon. It's also the eBooks are also at my website. It's on Kindle, wherever you want to get books, you can get it at Barnes and Noble. I often recommend people go to Bookshop because they also donate money to local bookstores where you can also. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So when you go to my website, we should get together.com. You can also find and connect with me via signing up for my newsletter, which is there. It comes out every two weeks around Tuesday. Love it. Oh my goodness. Kat, thank you. Thank you for answering my DM for saying yes, for being here for this conversation. (laughs) I feel like there was so much in here that is like little things that we can take away to start to cultivate friendships in a new way, but also things that can have really big significance. I didn't, I felt like you do, you do a really good job of breaking things down into actionable items that feel doable and manageable and not like uh, just enough vulnerability to make them successful, but not absolutely terrifying. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you so much for the work that you're doing. This was really fantastic. You're welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me on the show and for sending that DM at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations 
with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.